The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. There are entrepreneurs and business leaders that are making so much more than profit in their enterprises. They're also giving back to the community, and so can you. Welcome to Be More, Achieve More, inspiration for the entrepreneurial mind with host Chris Cooper. If you are looking to make the most of yourself and your business, then you will want to stay tuned for the next hour. Here's your host, Chris Cooper. Hi, this is Chris Cooper, and welcome to another show uh, on, on Be More, Achieve More. Um, and today I'm, I'm delighted that we're going to be talking with uh, Colleen Francis. and We're going to be talking about uh, a really, really important subject, sales and uh, non-stop sales boom. So uh, before we go into that, um, I'd like to uh, say a thank you to my recent guests, uh, Simon Bucknell and Richard Mullinder. And that show, if you listen to that, so there were some really fascinating lessons, I think, about connecting and influencing people, but from the angle of uh, experience from the world of politics and also crisis and hostage negotiation. So if you're not listening to that, I would recommend uh, taking a listen in the archive. Um, also, um, I had a holiday last week, and I'd like to thank uh, Michael Carroll, whose um, show I repeated on Fearless at Work. I'm, I'm a fan of Michael's work, and I look forward to him joining me on the show again on the, July the 31st, where we're going to discuss the concept of mindfulness, which uh, seems to be mentioned very often these days. In fact, my wife told me only yesterday that she was going on a mindfulness course herself in October. So having myself had a background in sales and, and, and I've been involved with you know, selling, obviously, within my own business, I just think sales is a subject that we should just keep coming back to time and time again. And I'm delighted today to have a top sales expert from Canada on the show with a really important message. Feast or famine, boom or bust, it's a pattern that too many sales organizations regard as a necessary evil, and it's wrong. If you want a long-term career, according to my guess, you need to get off the roller coaster of inconsistent results. Instead of those frantic scrambles, which uh, some of you might recognize to meet your quotas, you can create a strong year-round record of closed sales, repeat customers, and increased referrals, all while you build a growing prospect list. That, according to my guest, Colleen, is what non-stop sales boom is all about. Colleen Francis has been a successful sales leader for over 20 years and understands the challenges of selling today's market. Um, she's the best-selling author of popular sales books, including the recent non-stop sales boom. She's a certified sales professional, CSP, and an inductee into the Speaking Hall of Fame, and that takes some doing. So um, full respect to uh, Colleen for that. And she's um, in sales and marketing magazine called Colleen and Engage Selling, her company, one of the top five most effective sales organizations in the market today. So wonderful credentials there. So a big welcome to Colleen Francis. Hey, thanks so much, Chris. It's really a great pleasure to be here today. Oh, great to talk to you. And, and Colleen, maybe maybe before we sort of start to get into the detail, you could tell us a bit about your background and where you live. And I also um, I believe from our chat that so you're not only like fast sales, you also like fast motorbikes. So maybe you could tell us a bit about that too. 
<laughs> sure, I'm happy to. Um, I am, um, I am a, I guess, a dyed-in-the-wool Canadian. <laughs> I've been living here my whole life. Uh, but recently, my husband and I decided that uh, we needed to retire from winter. And so I split my time between Canada and the U.S., following the sun, really. You know, um, We try to escape Ottawa, Canada, as the snow is... Um, threatening and hightail it as fast as we can with uh, the dog in tow down to Miami Beach so that we can um, enjoy winter and spring um, down there and I can avoid the snow, which is great. You know, the bulk of our clients are based out of the U.S. anyway, so it's just easier to travel from there. So it makes it for a nice, makes it for a nice winter. But really, you know, Chris, I come by my expertise in sales really honestly because it's the only job I've ever done except for one summer that I spent working in a roofing factory um, during my university years. So I drove a forklift and loaded trucks and wrapped shingles and pallets with uh, shrink wrap and all that kind of stuff. Um, And I I think it was a great experience because it made me realize that I never wanted to do that kind of work again and that I really wanted to be back in sales. (laughs) I did when I was was a student. I I used to, my father worked in a steelworks and it was a really really rough place actually and oh yeah he uh he said to he sort of said as a joke you know I'll get you a summer job if you like Um, and then he told me I'd never stick it for longer than a week so actually for several summers I used to work in the steelworks and uh, and then go off uh, traveling with the money and I worked in the dirtiest holes and wrecked blast furnaces and got absolutely filthy and uh, worked really hard but you know it uh, really makes me always made me appreciate uh, money and uh uh, and it so motivated me to want to get on not to do that when I was older. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I find the same thing. I, you know, I grew up in a house where my father was always in sales. So um, for the first 17 years of my life, my dad was either a salesman or a sales manager. And he stayed with the same company for almost 40 years. And so the only time he wasn't really directly in charge of sales was when he got promoted to be a general manager, but still he managed key accounts. And so I think, you know, that informed my, my sales approach, my sales, um, uh, uh, you know, I guess sales um, activities from an early age, because two things happened to me when I was a young kid. One, when we had those days off at school, professional development days or whatever they were called, um, so the teachers could mark or go to classes. My mom sent me on sales calls with my dad and, or, you know, out, get out the door. <laughs> so I would make sales calls as early as five years old. I would go out on the road with him. And then also when we were in elementary school and high school and had to sell things to make money for band trips or school exchanges, my dad refused to take that stuff to work with him and sell it to all his colleagues. I had no choice but to go door to door and um, sell things to neighbors, uh, wrapping paper, poinsettias, chocolate, spices. Um, those are the four things I can remember. And so I started selling at an early age, really early. <laughs> it doesn't happen these days anymore. So it's really, really in your in your genetics and upbringing, really, isn't it? Uh, it really, really is. <laughs> <laughs> yes, you uh, you say sales all the way through. Yeah, yeah. I'm not sure I could do anything else. <laughs> <laughs> so what what did what really uh, facilitated you know, this idea to write this book, Nonstop Sales Boom, uh, right now, at this point in time? Uh, yeah, that's a great question. Uh, the 
The thought for this book started a few years ago when I noticed that I was talking to clients and prospects and a number of them would say to me, hey, Colleen, you know, we're having the best year yet. Or we're having the best quarter yet. We, we really don't need sales training. We don't need any outside sales consulting help because things are just soaring. And I would talk to them about why that was happening. And they would, you know, share with me that it was, you know, a combination of the market or their activities or prospects or being the hot new product, whatever. So it was fascinating to me to have met so many companies that were doing so well. And then a few months later, some of those companies started calling me back and they said, we have no idea what's going on. The bottom has fallen out of our business. And we'd talk about why that was happening. And I would get hired to go in and help fix the problem. And what I discovered is that in all cases where they had experienced this wild swing of great revenue and then a significant drop, it was completely self-inflicted. It wasn't seasonality or the market at all. It was sales reps who were over-rotating on closing business and drying up the sales funnel and then having nothing to close the next month or the next quarter or the next year. In some cases, it was also based on a company who hadn't been paying attention to where the revenue was coming from. And so they were closing a lot of big deals, um, but they were ignoring the small deals in their pipeline. And so they had no risk tolerance or risk mitigation um, you know, to, to backfill some of those bigger deals. And in other cases, it was companies who had kind of abandoned one product um, and they were relying on certain areas of their company to buoy the revenue. But when that was gone, they had no backup based on the other products. So there was a number of things going on. Um, but what was, what was really clear is that it was completely self-inflicted and it could be resolved as long as we knew what to do and how to fix the problem. Yes, yeah, so, so actually, it wasn't the market. It was, no. it was, it was the, uh, the, the thinking or the gaps in the mindsets exactly. of the people leading the sales. And, you know, I first thought it might be the market because some of the downturns started when, you know, the economy kind of started to tank um, a few years ago. But then I noticed that some of my clients were still having exceptional years, even though we were in a quote-unquote recession. And so I started wondering, well, why is this business in Toronto or Miami or, you know, New York doing well and others are not, even though the economy is supposed to be in the tank? And I realized, again, it was completely self-inflicted. So, um, for example, we had one client who was suffering, um, you know, a downturn because their sales reps were really just focused on account management and they weren't seeking net new opportunities. So they were great at account managers and drawing out additional opportunities from their existing client base. But when those dried up, they didn't have any new customers to backfill for those opportunities. So their sales just fell off because rightly so, they'd gone back to the well so many times um, that they had no, no place to go. Mm -hmm. Conversely, we had a customer who was doing the opposite. They were really good at closing these quick hit and almost trials of the product, but they weren't winning the big deals because their customers didn't realize that they were that they could do the big work. So while the customers would say, yeah, we'll give you that order for a hundred or a thousand, when the orders for a million needed to be made, they just assumed that um, our client couldn't do the work because they had specialized in these smaller deals. So again, completely self-inflicted um, results. And the key I discovered is first understanding that, recognizing it, completely changing your mindset, and then going to work at resolving the issue. It's really, I think it's some very insightful points there. And I mean, one thing that sort of just popped up for me there, I wonder, do, do you find in those organizations that where 
you have got good account managers, for example, uh, managing existing clients that it's actually a different mindset and skill set to those people who maybe go are good at going in and uh, and securing new business development. Is there a, is a recruitment process that's maybe not um, finding the right blend of salespeople and putting them in the pointing them in the right place? If that makes sense. Yeah, you know, and this is very company specific because. Um, you know, a lot of large organizations can afford to have the right infrastructure to have both, let's just call it a hunting and a farming team. Um, for most of my clients, though, who sit, let's call it the 500 million or smaller, I truly believe that you want a salesperson who's really well blended so that you reduce your cost of sale. Yes. Because there's always extra infrastructure that's required when you have a team that sells the first deal and then you turn it over to a team that manages that account. Um, they are different skill sets um, to some degree, but they're not so different that one person can't be an expert at both. Mm-hmm. So why, why, um, why do you think boom and bust cycles are just so prevalent? You know, why are they happening so often to so many companies? Is, 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 it, is it all of those points you've mentioned? <laughs> well, there's a couple of reasons. Um, one is because people don't realize that they're self-inflicted. So they just assume that it's, what you know, hey, it's just the market. It's just um, it's just seasonality. It's just the way the business has always been, and so they accept it as normal. Um, but two, they develop blind spots. Uh, you know, we um, salespeople and to some degree sales managers. I won't say sales VPs because they're trained a different way. But sales managers and sales people often develop this tunnel vision, and they're very short term focused. So when I'm sitting at my desk as a sales rep and I get busy closing orders, it's very easy for me to forget that I have to be thinking long term at filling the funnel and having business to close the next month or the next quarter. There is a part of us that thinks, yay, I'll never have to prospect again because I'm just overflowing. The fire hoses, you know, is just flowing with all these great deals that want to close, I finally hit the jackpot. And we kind of put that pain and suffering of prospecting out of our mind. And so we forget that we have to do all the hard work to find those leads. On the other hand, sales managers, those who are really numbers driven, who are focused on that front um, front line salespeople, often are told, close, 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 right? I mean, let's go back to Glenn Gary, Glenn Ross, always be closing. And so there's this immense pressure on the sales team to close at all costs, even um, at the expense of filling the funnel for the next month or the next quarter, depending on how long your sales cycle is. So, you know, I call it tunnel vision, um, but this tunnel vision develops and it's incredibly dangerous to an organization um, and to the sales team. Because I don't know if you've ever lived in a sales environment like this, Chris, but it mm-hmm. is stressful. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> First of all, you're so busy up front, and then you have nothing to do. <laughs> and both of those create <laughs> terrible stressors. On <laughs> <laughs> well, my challenge, I think back to my confectionery days, was actually um, was putting so much work into a uh, into a, a particular activity and building something up to a point where I had a monster to then manage because there was no one else to manage it. Yeah. <laughs> we'll talk about that a bit more later. Uh, but what can, yeah, exactly. What can businesses do to prevent, you know, this sales whiplash? 
Um, there's a number of things. Um, the biggest, though, is to stop thinking about their pipeline and looking at their pipeline um, just as a linear process. So, you know, I always, when I was thinking about this, I was imagining, you know, the old fashioned um, sailor or pirate, depending on which one you like the best, standing at the front of the ship with one of those big long, um, um, long lenses or long glass looking glasses, you know, staring straight ahead and hoping they weren't going to you know, sail off the ocean (laughs) if you go way back in time. (laughs) And we need to think about it instead um, as a modern radar system. So if you think about radar, um, you know, and a and a pilot using radar or, or someone on the ground, they're able to see in a completely 360 degree view around them. They're able to see, um, you know, the opportunities or the enemies in front of them, behind them, up, you know, above them, below them, and on all sides. And that's what a smart salesperson does. They develop this sales radar because they realize they've got to see the opportunities in front of them. So those are like the net new opportunities, brand new customers. They have to see the opportunities that are created from existing customers, both who are um, referred, referring them to new customers, referring them to other departments. They have to also see the opportunities, I call them, you know, the opportunities behind them, which are the clients that they've closed who could be willing to grow. So when they're looking at these opportunities all around them, front and behind, left and right, then they're able to really develop this robust sales pipeline um, that isn't limited by, you know, closing or account management. Mm. And I guess what we often don't do is, is take that time to think about who we would really love to be working with people maybe get focused in on maybe companies have shown an interest or, or various things but actually building that bigger picture and thinking well who you know who are our ideal customers um and, and having that bigger pers- perspective that you've just suggested and articulated there it makes lots and lots of sense yeah you know, it's amazing to me how many salespeople don't spend time working on their ideal prospect all they do is they take whatever comes to them and then they complain to me that their book of business is filled with all sorts of terrible customers. And I always laugh and say, well, you sold to them. <laughs> <laughs> if you don't like your customers, that's your fault. <laughs> uh, uh, people can be purposeful about the business that they bring in if you take some time to define what your ideal target is based on um, you know, who is the easiest to sell to, who has the biggest need, and target those customers. Ultimately, they'll close faster and they'll be much more leverageable um, in inside your own customer network. But you have to be able to do that um, as well as balance growing your existing clients because you want to have business that's going to close short-term, long-term, and medium-term to balance your portfolio. Excellent. Well, um, we're going to come back and uh, obviously talking lots more with Colleen and, and learning lots of different uh, ideas and concepts about how to um, – you know, move to a non-stop sales boom. So do join us again in just a couple of minutes after the break. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. Would you like to work personally with the host of this show to help realize your potential? Chris Cooper supports business leaders and high-potential individuals to achieve greater success in their businesses and careers. Support includes the opportunity to join a high-return group mentoring and mastermind program called the Achiever Program. One-to-one mentoring and coaching, 
facilitated leader development workshops and speeches. Email info at bemoreachievemore.com to arrange a free, no-obligation consultation to see how Chris and his team can help you. We hear it and read about it every day in the news. America is heading over a fiscal cliff. Home prices are still receding and unemployment growing. How can you preserve and increase your wealth in this kind of economy? Tune in to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with host Jay Taylor. Jay will explain the decline of our monetary system and the economy and will give you winning investment ideas and the tools to protect and increase your wealth. Turning Hard Times into Good Times with Jay Taylor can be heard Tuesdays at 3 p.m. Eastern Time, 12 noon Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. If you hear a dog barking or an angel singing, then you know that you are listening to Waking Up in America. Heard every Wednesday at 3 Pacific Time, Valerie Kirkard and all of her friends will bring you powerful and humorous discussions that raise thoughts and give you insight on how to live your life to its fullest potential. Adventure is always a must on Waking Up in America with Valerie Kirkard every Wednesday at 3 Pacific. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. tuned in to be more achieve more with host chris cooper if you have a question or comment about our show please direct your emails to info at be that's info at be now back to chris cooper hi this is chris cooper i'm with colin francis and we're talking about uh, non-stop sales boom and and colleen i read in your book non-stop sales boom about in not relying on a few salespeople and avoiding burnout. And it really kind of prompted something for me because I remember, you know, looking back, working as a salesman for a confectionery firm. And I put in a huge volume of work uh, to win a national sales award, which I was just so delighted to achieve it. It was my first year in the company and I won it at the end of the first year. And I went on this all expenses trip to the World Cup. It was in Florida in 1994, which uh, was a, a bit of a dream come true for someone from the United Kingdom. Um, but once I returned home, I was then working until 10 or 11 o'clock managing an absolutely monstrous workload that I created. <laughs> and I, I wonder what is your view on in- incentives and you know, avoiding sales employee burnout? It's <laughs> <laughs> a great story. and It, it happens a lot. Um, you know, it. It, what you experience doesn't just happen with incentives. It can happen even just based on normal compensation. For example, if your team is incented um, to hit quarterly targets or monthly targets as opposed to an annual target, you will get people who will stay you know, until midnight the last day of the quarter or the month um, and get deals closed. And then like you, the next week, they just have so much onboarding and workload to do because they've created this massive bow wave of sales. So, um, so while on the one hand, incentives do work, right, from a corporate perspective, mm. um, they can backfire by creating um, too much, I was going to say too much work, but they can, they can backfire because not only do you feel that burnout, but there's other people in the organization who have to make these sales happen. And you can put an overburden on an implementation team, um, a training team, um, an accounting team, because you have so many sales to transact in a short period of time. And in fact, you can also create customer 
um, customer service problems, let's just say, because a client of mine went through this and their program was fairly intensive in terms of the implementation. And what happened is they created so many sales at the end of the quarter that they had to start implementing these and they had a finite number of resources to do the training and the implementation. So clients who purchased in December, we're waiting until March or April to get it implemented, which meant we were creating um, buyer's remorse. And people would start wondering, well, should I cancel? They were left with sort of a, the first taste um, was not a good taste. So I think we have to be really careful with incentives. I wouldn't encourage um, short-term incentives to try to drive a short-term behavior because you don't want to create this bow wave. Um, I think too, as a company, you need to figure out a way to um, and normalize the workload for all employees, not just the salesperson. So maybe there's a way to stage those sales so that when you come back from that World Cup trip, um, you're not having to do everything the following week and stay up till 10 or 11 at night. Um, thirdly, I think we need to set expectations with the customers if we're pushing really hard and make sure that we can stage their implementations so we can let them know they're purchasing today um, and the implementation will start in a month or a week or whatever that is so that, again, we can try to normalize some of that and create the right customer service experience right from the get-go. Yeah, yes. Uh, we've got to think that through. I don't think anybody at, at that time, I don't think anybody was really thinking about the, the bow wave that people were creating. And I, I, that, that particular situation, I was being kind of targeted monthly. So I'd, uh, I'd done really well with my targets over the the, the first year but then coming back from that trip I had so much work to manage that my my conversions were struggling for a month of, you know yeah absolutely the birth, the stress <laughs> <laughs> so you know it was interesting um one of the best incentive programs that we saw at a company that worked really well to help um create high performance but also um but also we kind of create a stabilized work environment was a company, they are a publicly traded company and what they wanted and what they rewarded were sales reps who achieved or went over their target every month on a monthly basis. And it was a cash bonus, but the cash bonus doubled for every month that you, that you hit your target. So in January, let's just say you got $100. If you hit your target again in February, you got $200. If you hit it again in March, you got $400. If you hit it again in April, you got $800. And it kept doubling. And what was good about this is um, it was the same reward whether you hit 100% or 200%. So um, for some reps, it actually made sense to um, you know, not push on the 30th day of the month to get it in that month and create the bow wave, but just to wait a couple of days, which was okay because the company was really looking for steady cash flow. They were, the company didn't even want 500% one month and 10% the next month. So that bonus really worked because they followed the golden rule of compensation. Salespeople will do exactly what they're paid to do. And so if you pay for exceptional performance one month, then that's what you'll get. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, one of my first, uh, my first jobs after, uh, well, it's actually my uh, job during, um, during my degree was at, uh, let's say, Love sort of office services. For, it, was, it, was, it was rank Xerox many years oh, okay. ago. Um, but uh, and I was with the compensation team, and uh, it was just fascinating how the you know the salespeople would absolutely you know kind of focus in on the compensation plan and any chinks in the armor of it, uh, uh, <laughs> they would soon exploit it and be, be you know earning it was and it was a full time department actually just focused on that plan. Oh yeah, 
big companies have full-time compensation um, departments because they need to, I mean, the, the, the amount of data that has to be managed um, is tremendous. And it has to be right because there's nothing worse than um, making a mistake with an employee's pay. Um, I just uh, watching a, a friend go through a horrific situation with a very large organization um, who I won't name because their compensation department overpaid all the sales reps one month quite dramatically. Well, one quarter because they were paid. And then they all got letters in the mail or emails that said, well, you have to pay this back. And, you know, these are people who'd paid taxes on it. Um, and, and they were told they had to pay it back, um, or have, and have either by check, write us a check or, um, have it deducted off their future pay. Now you could argue, well, that makes sense because they were overpaid. Yes. But the way it was handled and then the company, you know, just sending an anonymous letter saying you owe us 1800, $18,000, $25,000 in some cases is very detrimental to your sales team's morale. Ooh, not kidding. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and you know what's really interesting and not fair about compensation, and you probably found this working with a company, is the more complex your sales compensation is and the less easy it is for a salesperson to understand, the more the salesperson thinks that the company is trying to get them. Yes. <laughs> You're, you know, the, the attitude, and it's not right, it's just the way it is, is you've made this so complex because you don't want me to understand it so that you can cheat me out of my compensation. Mm. So keep it simple. Mm. And do you, um, I mean, I always remember too, uh, some of the companies I've worked with, you know, at the end of a year, a salesperson actually has to come in with their budget and they come in with their budget in terms of what they think they can achieve. And then the company adds another 10, 15, 20% on top. Um, so that, that can sometimes be a bit of a disincentive to perform. Well, well yeah, you know, I, this is fascinating to me because the joke, of course, is that uh, whatever you accomplish this year, they're just going to increase by 10 or 20%, which is ridiculous because the market may not sustain that. We had a client who had a $2 million sales target, um, large telecom organization. And um, her client that year um, just made a decision to roll out a massive new project. And so she actually achieved $7 million on a $2 million target. So what did the company do? They gave her an $8 million target next year. Yeah. Well, this $7 million was a one-time, you know, massive project to fix a billing issue, which they weren't going to spend the next year. So it made it impossible for, hit, for her to hit her target because there just wasn't those kinds of opportunities. So it's really important when you're setting incentives or, conversation, or compensation to make sure that you're setting them based on what the market can sustain, not just what you think based on past performance. Mm. You, you, were, you were talking to us earlier about this uh... You mentioned radar, and uh, and I know that having read through your book, that there's a concept in the book which you refer to as a sales radar. Do you want to explain what it is? Yeah, and um, sales radar is um, a client engagement um, process or a client engagement model is probably a better word, where. Um, it's, again, we're not looking at the sales process from beginning to end in a linear fashion. We're looking at it in this 360-degree view, and it's broken into four equal quadrants. Um, attraction, so what are all the things that you need to do to keep brand new leads coming into your funnel? And by attraction, I mean new client attraction, uh, not new projects with existing customers, so new clients. Participation, how are you getting them to uh, participate, meaning engage in the buying process and buy, um, growth, 
So how are you getting your existing customers to buy more? And then leverage, which is how do you use your um, existing customers to leverage more new business, both from, of course, their own organizations, but also from attracting new customers. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that makes that uh, that makes sense. And so you, you mentioned the first stage in there was about attracting attraction. Yeah. Uh, what are the key yeah. things companies can do to attract new prospects, in your opinion? Oh, okay. So this is the big one. Um, in today's selling market, um, which has you know changed quite dramatically in the last five years, attraction is all about ubiquity. So attraction has two um, important subheadings. Let's just call it um, direct. So direct attraction, those are all the things that we would do as salespeople to um, reach out to prospects. So we could call it um, proactive if you wanted. So it's me making cold calls, me going to networking events, um, all the things that I'm doing directly to put myself in front of uh, buyers. And then there's all the indirect stuff that's happening. And this includes all the social media. Um, this includes you know, advertising, um, marketing all of the things that we're doing to put ourselves out that are as experts. So it could be salespeople speaking at conferences, salespeople writing blog posts or commenting on blog posts, and um, salespeople curating any publications, um, articles, analysis that their corporations are putting together and sending them out to the marketplace. So it's really important that salespeople kind of bridge this gap a little bit between sales and marketing by becoming their own marketing departments for their own personal territories. And ubiquity is what you're striving for. So think about um, the holy grail being when customers call you and they say, you know, Chris, I just see you everywhere. You're, you're all over the place, so you must be the best. Yes. And so let's talk about how I can do business. Um, and I find it fascinating that when you are perceived to be ubiquitous, you are perceived to be in the number one or the dominant position. So you can create this dominance, this market dominance, by just making sure that you are everywhere all the time. Well, that makes uh, it makes a huge amount of sense. And is so, is, and is that the definition of ubiquity? Because I was actually, um, I was actually, making, I'm not quite sure. I know, know what that word means. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I define ubiquity as being everywhere. <laughs> <laughs> Omnipresent is another word that uh, that could be used, I suppose. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Toyed with the idea of using promiscuous, but thought that might just have a bad connotation. So, <laughs> <laughs> so what about participation then? How do you qualify a customer and get them to buy from you, and then get on board quickly? So, um, two things here that I think are important concepts. One, we have to remember that the qualification is now the prospect qualifying us and us qualifying the prospect. And um, partway through participation, we have to make a mutual decision about whether we want to do business with them and they want to do business with us. Too many salespeople forget that in this day and age, um, prospects are doing as much work trying to qualify us by doing research, by looking for proof, by talking to the peers um, as we are trying to qualify them. Um, And so, you know, asking all those qualification questions and verifying them is important. But the big change um, in my mind to this part of the sales process is that closing, closing the sale only starts when you get the order. And it's important for salespeople to stay engaged through the entire implementation process to make sure that the client gets onboarded and is using your product as quickly and as fully as possible. Because when that happens, then you can create growth opportunities. But if the client is left hanging, not implementing or only partially implementing, and it's taking a long time and it's dragging on, then you don't have the opportunity to grow that client as quickly as you should. 
Yes, yes, I think uh, that's really, really uh, well worth thinking about, isn't it? And, and you write it maybe that you you win win a new client and you think a piece of work is X, but actually when you you get inside that organisation as well, you may find actually it needs to be X, Y, and Z to be effective, and uh, the sales opportunity in there can can grow and expand. Yeah, you know we we started to look at this concept, um, and a client was telling us a story about how. They do a lot of work trying to expand their footprint inside their their big customers, and their big customers are all you know Fortune 100 companies. And one of her clients finally said to her, um, "You know, Colleen, I can't buy anything else from you until I use what I have. It's like you sold me a VCR, and all I know how to do is press the play button." <laughs> I know it's an antiquated analogy that many listeners might not understand, <laughs> but his point was, I can see that there's, you know, a hundred functions in this thing and I'm using only three. I can't justify buying more until I'm fully utilized. And she all of a sudden went, oh my gosh, we're not getting our clients up to speed as quickly as we should. And we're missing out on sales opportunities because they're overwhelmed by not using what they already have. Yeah. I was having that conversation about that um, myself (laughs) this morning, about some software we use. Um, about actually, uh, well, before actually um, expanding this further, how about if we spend a little bit of time to understanding how to fully use what we've got? Yeah. <laughs> well, you know, and even in our business at Engage, um, I noticed, you know, in, uh, when we had some, we had some lower end coaching programs, some introductory coaching programs where people, you know, $97 a month or whatever, and they could participate in webinars and, and live calls. And we found that those clients who participated in everything. They showed up to every webinar. They showed up to every call. They read everything. They were the ones who really gained success, but also wanted to then get more. Those clients that, you know, used 10% of, of what we sold never really went anywhere and never wanted to stay engaged. And so I think that you see this at all sizes of business. Um, people need to implement quickly and see results so that you can then um, leverage that business for growth. Yes, yes, that's uh, really, uh, really can get that from my, my own experiences as well. Um, well we're going to um, go to a commercial break again in a minute, and then um, I think I'll save this question until we, we come back. Um, I'd like to talk a little bit about the growth stage and then how we leverage after the break. So we'll be back again in just a couple of minutes with Colleen Francis and myself, and we're talking about the nonstop sales boom. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. Hi, I'm Rebecca Costa, host of the Costa Report, every Tuesday at 6 a.m. and again at 6 p.m. My guest this week was Secretary of Housing and Urban Development under President Clinton, Mr. Henry Cisneros, who will be here to talk about 13 trends which make investing in real estate in urban centers a sure bet. Don't miss Henry Cisneros this Tuesday at 6 a.m. and again at 6 p.m. on the Voice America Business Channel. 
Dialogue is the single most powerful leadership tool we have to make a difference in the world. Leading conversations with host Cheryl Esposito creates a place for that dialogue. Tune into the Voice America Business Channel every Friday as Cheryl hosts new conversations among leaders from around the world in business, government, art, economics, and social change. We'll explore big ideas and everyday actions and learn how their own leadership has led them to discover a newfound sense of possibility in the world. Leading conversations with Cheryl Esposito, bringing big thinkers together in conversations that make a difference right here on the Voice America Business Channel every Friday morning at 10 a.m. Pacific Standard Time. Would you like to work personally with the host of this show to help realize your potential? Chris Cooper supports business leaders and high potential individuals to achieve greater success in their businesses and careers. Support includes the opportunity to join a high return group mentoring and mastermind program called the Achiever Program, one-to-one mentoring and coaching, facilitated leader development workshops and speeches. Email info at bemoreachievemore.com to arrange a free, no-obligation consultation to see how Chris and his team can help you. The business community's first choice in Internet talk radio, Voice America Business Network. You are tuned in to Be More, Achieve More with host Chris Cooper. If you have a question or comment about our show, please direct your emails to info at bemoreachievemore.com. That's info at bemoreachievemore.com. Now, back to Chris Cooper. Hi, this is Chris Cooper. I'm with Colin Francis. We're talking about nonstop sales boom. And if you um, want to uh, find out more about um, my take on the shows and uh, future shows that are coming up, uh, do subscribe to the newsletter at chriscooper.co.uk as we produce that just once a month and we'll give you you information and links to access all of the different shows and and guests. And uh, and I share some of my my thoughts on some of the uh, key uh, lessons and things that we can have picked up myself from the the different shows. So uh, we're chatting um, about the sales radar. We talked about attraction. We talked about participation, and the next stage was the growth stage. So, um, Colleen, um, do you want to uh, just just tell us a little bit more about the growth stage, and maybe share an example about um, that could help us um, you know, understand and utilize this better? Sure. Growth is about expanding um, your opportunities inside an existing account. And this is an often overlooked part of the sales process for salespeople. And what I like about it um, in terms of creating a nonstop sales boom is the sales happen a lot more quickly because you have trust. And so it's a nice balance to your um, your sales pipeline because you've got the net new opportunities versus um, existing opportunities inside your current account. So the most important thing here to remember is that you have to expand out your network. So a lot of salespeople will practice what I call account complacency. And they say, well, Chris is my buyer. You know, he, he, he made the decision, so I'm going to nurture that relationship. And they don't go above, um, below, beside Chris to really build out that relationship. And growing inside an account is contingent both on a quality and a quantity of relationships. So we first need to determine which of our accounts can grow and should grow. Um, And then once we have determined who can grow, we need to um, focus on building out a number of relationships inside that account first and then talking about the opportunities 
to add more services or products or whatever it is that you sell. Yeah, yes. How, how do you do that if you've got somebody in the organization that really kind of wants to, to keep the suppliers to themselves? <laughs> Sounds like you're selling to purchasing. <laughs> run. No. So, so I used to run procurement functions once. Oh, joy. Stuff, and, uh, and, uh, I, 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 all joking aside. Um, first of all, the first thing I do is ask for, you know, the number two. So I would say, you know, hey, Chris, you know, if you ever go on vacation or if we can't get a hold of you, if you're sick or take time off, who should we call in, in place of you? So you have to have a backup, right? So who's your backup, um, which I think is critical. So you can start building out um, that way. Second of all, um, you know, making sure that you're on site for training events or educational events is critical because you'll meet people who are, um, you know, who are extraneous to maybe um, your particular um, client or buyer, but who can be helpful inside the organization. I have a shipping client in uh, China, and I love one of their sales reps in Taiwan who always says, there's three really important people inside every organization for me. There's those who can make the decision, those who can influence the decision, and the spies. <laughs> <laughs> and so she makes sure that she's always on site as often as she can, meeting everyone who could be an influencer or a spy. And the lesson here for all of us is that there's far too many sales trainers and consultants out there who say, go to the top. You only, you know, sell top down and you got to have the, the highest level of relationships. And I just think that that's um, not smart selling. You have to have relationships high, low, and everything in between inside the organization. Having business reviews. So making sure that you're going on a quarterly basis and having business reviews with your client, having them invite other people to the organization, um, the, the reviews so that you're meeting additional people inside the, the organization, having training sessions, lunch and learns, all of those things that really show that you're adding value, not just trying to sell to other people, will help to broaden your network inside that account. So that's about becoming a trusted advisor as well. Is it? Sorry, say that. So sorry. Right. Oh, trusted yes. advisor. Yes. yes. Sorry. <laughs> yeah, yes. absolutely. If you become that trusted advisor, um, that go-to person, then more people are going to reach out to you. Yeah. So, so let's let's chat about best leverage. How do you best leverage your positive relationships? Referrals and testimonials. So. Asking your clients for testimonials or case studies, success stories, so that you can populate your marketing with real-life proof that you do what you do well. And then, of course, asking for referrals to uh, their suppliers, their partners, um, other people in associations um, to help grow the business. It makes a lot. Makes a, and, and, yeah, I think um, it, it's well worth, isn't it, having – Having camera and things like that, and, and asking your clients to uh, to be uh, give you testimonials on video. I've, I've found anyway because you can then you can both transcribe them and use them, and then you've also got something visually as well. Is that yes. that's good? Um, and even if the company doesn't want to go on video, sometimes it's easier for them to talk about their success than it is to write about it. So you might be able to transcribe that video, like you say, um, and use it as a as a, um, a written testimonial, I really love the case study format. So I encourage my clients to hire a professional writer, have them call their customers, and walk through a case study format 
um, that provides a little more detail than just, hey, Colleen is great. We really love her. Uh, you know, what was the problem? What was the intervention? What was the solution? Get some quotes from the right people and then format it in a, in a professional case study um, and have those posted as well. Excellent. So how do you think the sales landscape um, um, sort of will were look in the next five years? I mean, what can uh, sales organizations do to change? Well, buyers will be taking more and more control of the sales cycle. They already are controlling a lot of the sales cycle, but they're going to take more control because they have more access to information, um, more access to analysis, um, and more access to tools to do that. So we're going to see um, that sh shift continue. Um, and I think it's important for organizations to embrace this and continue to figure out how to be a facilitator in that buying process than continue to try to sell against it. So um, you know, we've already started to see that um, standardized sales processes that are, um, that are really strict and rigorous are going by the wayside because we cannot be in conflict with the buyer's buying process anymore. We have to think of ourselves more as facilitators and curators um, <laughs> of this process as opposed to leaders of it. Uh, so, so basically what you're saying is we, we, need to be, we need to be really building relationships with these buying teams and not circumventing it exactly uh, because that, i mean that often uh, i mentioned a little earlier that i used to run buying teams in, in big uh, companies i've done a variety of different things uh, mm -hmm. but um i mean we used to get it used to be quite frustrating sometimes when <laughs> suppliers would for example you know be courting a marketing director or somewhere like that and suddenly you found someone had you know circumvented the process when actually there's several other suppliers on your roster who could do the same job and it did, yeah. used to cause quite a bit of conflict. Well, it would, and it can get you shut out of the system these days. Um, and I, so I don't believe that any of those circumvention techniques um, are, are necessarily working. Now, um, yes, there might have to be some circumvention of gatekeepers who aren't really buyers. But if you've got a team of buyers who are actually making the decision and you're trying to circumvent those these days, um, you're just likely to be eliminated because there's so much competition and so much choice. Um, that uh, you put yourself in harm's way. And how, how do you recommend that people go about this? If maybe they're a, you know, they're a relatively small business, maybe they're new in a marketplace, and what they do is they find they come up against sort of these, uh, in these quite complex processes and <laughs> audits looking back at several years of accounts, and, uh, and actually they find themselves completely shut off unless they try and circumvent the process through relationships? And what's your advice to those sorts of organizations? Well, I think that you need to then employ a much more sophisticated and broad, bro broad um, brush sales approach and get more people involved from your organization. So, you know, part of growing an account is not just you reaching out and meeting more people inside a client, but it's also you employing more media types or more people. So if, you know, if you're faced with a highly complex um, buying structure that includes, like you say, audits and, you know, procurement and negotiations and testing and trials and multiple levels of people, then I think one of the best things you can do is to implement um, a sales process that might include your manager, your technical resources, your trainers, people inside your organization who might not be in sales, but can add value and reach out to other people, their colleagues, um, their counterparts in that company. 
so that you're maybe not the one circumventing, but other people are building relationships um, at different layers of the organization. So I might be, I, I might be, I'm sort of going slightly against your typical sort of target market here. But um, <laughs> what what about the the solo entrepreneur, the the trainer, the coach, the uh, the facilitator, uh, those sorts <laughs> of people who who maybe don't have all of those different resources to bring in, but could actually do a job quite well. Mm -hmm. Well, that's a great question. And and it is different in this case because we as solo entrepreneurs, and I say we because, you know, I'm one of those small um, entrepreneurs, um, we have much more control over our fate. And so you might argue that this type of customer you're going after isn't ideal for you unless you can get to the buyer. Um, And of course, it's always hard for me to answer these questions generally, but my general gut feel in this situation is absolutely circumvent because you're not going to win if you don't. And if they throw you out, then go find somebody else to sell to. Because the most power that we have as small business owners or solo entrepreneurs is just being able to pick up the phone and call somebody else. I'm really really pleased that you said that because uh, I was starting to feel slightly guilty. One or two of the relationships I've established in the past. (laughs) Well, you know, I mean, here's a quick story, and I'll use myself as an example. So I um, had a really great client at a very large pharmaceutical, like one of the big global pharmaceuticals. And we were happily working on a project with them when another project came up. And it was a massive project. It would have been, between my partner and I, about $2 million. And they put us through the rigors, right? You know, formal RFP, procurement, credit, I mean, everything. And it took us every ounce of manpower between my partner and I to get this thing done. And we finally submitted it. And we were at home. Uh, My business partner is my husband. We were at home. We opened a bottle of champagne and he said, you know, cheers. Um, We either are going to win this or we're going to win our time back. And I looked at him and I said, I don't even want the business. (laughs) And he said, we have just spent like 80 hours of our life working on this all encompassing deal for an organization we don't want to do business with on a project that we probably can't do (laughs) and we're not going to win it we knew we weren't going to win it It, you know and and so and that was a a few years ago it was sort of one of those lessons even for me to say we should have looked at that process and gone there is no way we can win this and we are not jumping through hoops for um business that we can't win even though it's a customer of ours we should have put our foot down and said thank you um this is not in our wheelhouse and walked away, um, but we didn't. <laughs> and we laugh about it now. But maybe, maybe you had to put that eighty hours in to to really, really get that lesson. I think sometimes we oh, I've, yeah. done, I've done something. Two weeks of my life, I'll never get back. Very similar to that. It's, uh, it's uncanny. Um, so I just we've only got a couple of minutes left, and I need to kind of wrap up. So just in a, you know, in a minute, if you if you can, um, Colleen, do you have a final message that you'd like to leave us with? Uh, yes. Um, Everybody is capable, big business, small business, micro business. Everybody is capable of creating a nonstop sales boom. You do not have to accept a boom bust mentality as normal in your business, but you do have to accept that the bust is created by you and you can get yourself out of it. So it all starts with your mindset there. Great message to the end on. Uh, And on that note, um, I'd like to say thank you very much, uh, Colleen. Um, Wonderful to speak to you today. And I uh, hope you have, 
hope you have a good trip to England when you come over next uh, next week. Yes, I'm I'm looking forward to to being over in the UK. And thank you so much for having me today. This was a great interview. You're very welcome. It's been an absolute pleasure. If you want to find out more about the four phases, um, sales radar and creating a non-stop sales boom, I'd recommend you go to www.salesboombook.com. If you've got any questions and feedback about uh, non-stop sales boom, you can send and contact Colleen Francis at engagedselling.com. And if you've got any questions or feedback on the show, please do send them to me at uh, chris at chriscooper.co.uk. And next week we have a successful entrepreneur and meeting expert, Catherine Woods, and she's going to talk about creating really, really magic meetings. So um, do join us again for Catherine next week. And um, I look forward to speaking to you all again uh, very shortly. Thank you for listening to Be More, Achieve More. Please join your host, Chris Cooper, again next Friday at 8 a.m. U.S. Pacific Time, typically 4 p.m. London on the Voice America Business Channel. Enjoy your week. Enjoy your week.